Hey everyone, I'm Ryan, and since Steve is on vacation, or just getting back from it, we have a special guest with us today. Uh, we've got Steve of Strategic Dino, token maker extraordinaire. Steve, you want to say hi? Tell us a little bit about your tokens. Yes, thank you. It's so great to be here. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Uh, as you mentioned, I do make tokens, which can be found over at strategicdino.com. I'm big big into Keyforge at the moment, obviously, and that's been a big seller for me, kind of helped to launch my shop. So I'm super thankful for everyone who's gone out and bought some of my tokens. Uh, I'm, I'm making them all here by hand in Austin, Texas. So you're getting getting an artisan product. Is that accurate? I think that works. I mean, it's like, you know, I think cheeses are made by hand and those count as artisan, or at least some cheeses. So I imagine tokens probably fit the same thing. I mean, you can eat both of them. Probably shouldn't, but I... You shouldn't, but they look tasty. And I, I give people my business card a lot of the time. And on the back, as you've seen, there's a bunch of pictures of the tokens and people are like, ooh, is this candy? Can I eat this? I know. No, you can't. I keep thinking like if I, I keep I keep putting the damage tokens in my mouth and expecting them to be like cinnamon candies. And no, they're just acrylic. It's Yeah, it's just with a little bit of a burnt flavor from the laser, probably. Free idea for the future. You could have flavored tokens and that won't possibly get you into any kind of a lawsuit. <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure on this one. <laughs> when I make them out of wood, they are definitely already barbecue flavored. Like if I take a big <laughs> stack of like wood, laser cut wood stuff into my house on uh, the whole rest of the day, I'm like, is that is someone cooking something? <laughs> What's going on? Hickory flavored damage tokens. <laughs> yeah. Liquid smoke. <laughs> that's that's going to be my April Fool's joke next year. That would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, just a whole line of, of different parts, like Applewood, Applewood smoked ember tokens, hickory flavored damage tokens. It's a whole line. I'm telling you, it's an untapped market. Oh, yeah. It's great. And I'm sure that I can get into a lot more games with those. And I, I so I, you mentioned your April Fool's Day uh, thing, and I, I remember seeing it and laughing, and I can't for the life of me now that I'm on the yeah. spot what it was so it was mood mood amber i uh made some well i didn't actually make them i photoshopped a picture of some of my amber token designs made out of mood ring uh material so that you could see how tilted you are when certain things happen so you know like you start playing it's nice and blue and green some of course the key first starting to get yellow uh <laughs> and then it just like goes all the way to dark black when someone bait and switches you for five or something like yes yeah, it's, it's pretty silly yeah, and uh, there's like actually a pretty good response to that. Uh, some a couple people asked me if I could actually make them. I'm pretty sure the answer is no. I think that that mood ring material is a liquid under a plastic that would just be gone if I laser cut it. <laughs> I think you might have shot yourself in the foot there too. With uh, like like Think Geek used to do stuff like that where they would do the uh, uh, one of the ones I remember was the Bantha sleeping bag where like you know like mm -hmm. cuts the Bantha open to keep. They ended warm. up making that. Exactly. Because I've seen one of those so in real life, life, and it was amazing. It was supposed to be an April Fool's joke. They're like, ha, ha, ha. But everyone wanted one. They're like, well, I mean, we're not going to turn down sales. Let's let's just make this thing. Yeah. And they've now every year for April Fool's Day, like they have to do like four or five April Fool's jokes and then figure out which ones they're actually going to make. It happens every year. It's hilarious. That's a pretty amazing like business strategy. Like, oh, we're just going to put this out there like a joke. But if people like it, we'll make it. Yeah. People love that stuff. So on Twitter, uh, I want to say maybe a week, two weeks ago at this point, it's always tricky when you're recording and then things happen in real life and you have to remember when people are going to be hearing the thing. But at some point in the recent past, Fantasy Flight Organized Play put out the new Open Play and Premium kits. Did you have a chance to take a look at the contents or anything? You see the pictures of them? Oh, yeah, I have indeed. I've seen the, the Open Play stuff in real life as well. 
Oh, really? Yeah. So the open play is, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, slash pulling my browser up quickly enough, has alternate art cards that are going to serve as replacements for tokens. And if I'm remembering mm-hmm. how it works, you have uh, every three games. Yeah, I've got it right here. Okay, so every three games gets you one card. Uh, one of these alternate art cards. And then each month has a different kind of card, or actually two different kinds of cards. Apparently there's two for each month. It's different sides of the same card. Oh, is it? Oh, oh yeah, duh, there it is. Side A, side B. So never mind. just kidding. <laughs> well, you haven't seen them in real life, and I have, so that makes sense. Oh, there we go, there we go. And you know what, it, but if I'm looking at the site now, it even says side A, side B, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> from my cassette days, I should realize what that meant. But I wasn't looking closely enough. But uh, so, so you've got side A and side B. Side A for the first month is going to be Ember. And then side B is the key cost increase, which has the art for Grabber Jammer, bane of my existence. Has a little mm-hmm. notification, has like the key symbol, plus sign, and then Ember to say like your keys plus one Ember, which is really cool. I find that is a very interesting helpful way because i mean if you have three you have like a mermuk and a grabber jammer and this that the other thing out on the table then your keys might cost two three more or something like that or you lash of broken dreams someone it's really easy to forget that your keys now cost three more because they'll be readying the lash so you don't have that that reminder that they used it on the previous turn so i really like these even you know as a uh just even if they didn't make one just having something like that i'm really interested in so and if nothing else the grabber jammer art is pretty cool and seeing like a little bit of a zoomed in bigger version of that is is nice yeah because I, I love that art uh it's become one of my favorite cards mars has gone from like my my least favorite house to one of my most favorite houses and grabber jammer is a huge part of that such a brutal effective card uh for ember control yeah so for month two, um, we have the one damage and three damage cards, alternate art cards. I should also mention that all of these are Mars themed. So I don't recognize the art for the um, the Ember that we were talking about, but it's definitely something. There's a Mars dude in there getting zapped by a laser, like a tractor beam kind of thing. I want to say it's key abduction. Is that right? I'm not sure about that. You know what? I'm going to say it is. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it is because it's a guy being abducted and it's giving you ember. So it makes sense. It would be key abduction. Yeah, it might be that. Yeah. I'm going to, that's canon. That's canon now. <laughs> I've said it. It's official. We're, we'll, we'll let F Fantasy Flight me, uh, know that if that is not the proper art there, they need to swap some things around on their next print run. Make that true. Uh, so on the one and three damage, um, it looks like the three damage card is Ammonia Clouds. And. Uh, I'm not sure about the one damage one. Uh, oh, that is... Compod, I think? Yeah, I was just going to say that's Compod because he's talking into a comp. Yeah. I don't see any pods, but you know what? That's half the name. That works. Yeah. The card doesn't deal damage either, but... Uh... Right. But hey, you know what? Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> they got they got it yeah. half. They got it's a win. cool card. It's cool art. It does, it does look like in the art there's stuff blowing up, so it kind of looks like there might be damage. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's cool art. It's cool. So you've got a, a one damage uh, on one side and three damage on the other side. So you kind of flip it over to, to do your math and everything like that. And then month number three is the power and stun card. So on one side, and this one's actually, you've got like three modes here. So you've got uh, power on one side, stun on the other side. Uh, the stun art is cool. It's the, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's the Godzilla looking. Zorg? Zorg. Zorg. Is it Zorg? Is it yeah. Zorg? A K or Zorg with a G. G. Sorry. If only we had the internet and could look these things up at our disposal, <laughs> but no, not while we're talking on a podcast. No, we couldn't possibly pause and go. So I think I think you're right though. I think it is Zorg. Uh, so the power token has. I think that's the Marauder as well, isn't it? Yep, that's the Exili Marauder for sure. 
so side note on your pronunciation, I, I go Ixley. I go with a Y. I go with an I. Mm. I go with the, the okay. actual Y. So that, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard anyone say it that way, but I kind of like that. Maybe I'll switch. The interesting thing about these power tokens is that you actually use them and then flip them upside down. Because there's a in the upper left corner, there's a single power dot, and then if you if you're looking at the art in the a proper vertical arrangement, um, in the bottom right corner, there's a two power dots. So the idea would be that you kind of have it tucked behind the card so that you can only see the upper left corner, and then if the power increases, you flip it around so that the art is upside down. But that means that the now upside down upper left corner is the two power dot, and still tucked behind the card, so you can't see the other dot, which is interesting yeah i think that's fairly useful uh if you don't have nice tokens to use instead exactly well i, I prefer the tokens they're just so much easier because you can kind of line stuff up and everything but i get that from a an organized play uh reward kit perspective the cards just production wise make way more sense the easier to produce you're already producing cards oh, yeah way cheaper way easier to ship right so i i get it and the nice thing with cards is that you just you have a deck box toss everything in the deck box with tokens, that can yeah. get a little trickier. You need to have make sure that you put them in the right way, and then stuff gets crunched around. It can scratch up cards, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're pretty cool. I have to say, when I first saw these, I was not impressed with the idea of using cards instead of tokens. And certainly that may be uh, because of my unique position of being someone who makes tokens, and I have sure. piles <laughs> of tokens all around me at all times. Uh, but I was just kind of like, ah, you know, even if I only had the starter set cardboard tokens, like for Amber, especially, I definitely would rather use something that is easier to count. Right. Uh, I do like the, the grabber jammer side of that card, like we said, but if you put a stack of these little Amber cards, like say you had 20 of them and you were using that, just that for your Amber, it'd be so hard, not just for you, but for your opponent, like both of you looking at the Archon card and easily seeing like how many Amber are there. Yeah, and it just slows the game down to me uh, for that. But like I said, I didn't I didn't love the idea. But I have since then come into contact with a couple people, definitely more casual players, who are just loving these cards and and want them. And I just gave them mine because I don't need them. Like I said, um, and but you know I, I thought that was really good. It's like okay, FFG knows that people like me aren't going to want these cards. And that's fine. We have our tokens, but there are more casual players that want them, and these are the product, the prize for the casual event. So that makes sense. So right, good for them. They hit their market. Exactly, and then yeah, like exactly like you said, these are the open play prizes. So it makes perfect sense. These are just participation type prizes. So yeah, they they're their lowest common denominator. You definitely wouldn't see these in a yeah. tournament. Well, you might see these in a tournament. Yeah, I've, I've, that's where I got them. Is they've been kind of the backup prize in the chainbound events I've been playing in lately since. Uh, stores ran out of the first promo kit stuff uh, so instead of getting those power and stun cards you're getting these now if you're in a lower place sure. um, but that's still essentially the same yeah i meant more in use you would you would rarely see these sure. in, use in a tournament um just because people like their fans definitely, definitely. and for the same reason you get these cards stacked up just like you said it's it's really hard i think that's honestly my biggest frustration anything in this game even if you're using uh tokens or whatever else it's really hard to kind of quickly glance at your opponent's ember pool and see how much ember they have you have to see, you have to pretty much count it every time and some of that it can be mitigated yeah. by how your opponent is stacking things i stack my ember token two at a time uh because i the, your key yeah me too ember. i actually put the i saw someone else doing this and i really loved the idea i actually take my ember and put it on the unforged key and then when i have six ember mm -hmm. on that key i start putting ember on the next key that way i know i have six on that mm -hmm. key 
and you can see like just glancing like oh he's got six on that key and he's got two on the next one okay so that must mean he has eight because he got six there and then roll over onto the next key yeah that's nice visual there so no that's cool i like i and i really like like you said i like that plus one key cost card i think that's actually super useful and i I can't wait to get my hands on some of those yeah that out of the bunch that's the most useful i think Absolutely. Uh, in addition to the open play kits, there's also a premium kit, which I think this is going to be replacing the or or becoming the new prize kit for chainbound events and everything else. Yeah. This is also Mars themed, so it seems like this whole batch of kits period is Mars themed. This one comes with. Uh, let's see, let's run down the little inventory here. It comes with a Mars-themed chain tracker, which you could also use to show that Mars is your active house because you flip it over, it's just got Mars art on it, which is the Ixley Marauder. It's got a blue, Mars-themed blue key card, red key card, and yellow key card, which I want to circle back to and talk a little bit about. Uh, then it's got a Mars deck box, and it's got two playmats. Uh, again, all of the art for this is the Ixley Marauder. So let's talk about these key cards. And another bigger box, right? Or no, that's just the box that it all comes in. I see. Right. That kind of the, the box that they show with it looks like a nice big long 200 card decks box or something. Yeah, I wonder if that's what it all comes in or if that's like what the playmat is in or how they ship it. I'm not sure. Because it could all, could oh, all be that's true. in that box and that's what the store gets, which I kind of want that thing. Yeah, right? They can give that out as an extra prize. Because so I saw that and I was like, that's a cool deck box. Right. If you could actually like open it. Because I got yeah, it. Like I... I Outside of my like top 10 decks that I play frequently with, everything else is just jammed into like a white long box that uh, they can get at game stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one's way cooler than that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about these these key cards. So on one side, they've got a forged key. On the other side, they've got an unforged key. On the bottom of it, there's a little bit of Mars art. How do you feel about these compared to... Well, I mean, obviously, that cuts into your, your business there, but... <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Business aside, as a player, how do you how do you feel about these keys? I think they're kind of neat. They're interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think it's pretty cool. And, you know, in terms of my business, no one who is going to be satisfied using these cards would be buying my keys anyway, probably, so I'm not too worried about it because uh, my keys aren't cheap, and you know, that's just how it is. But not everyone can afford that, and I think that this is like a really great option to be giving out to people, especially, you know, people who didn't get a starter set. A lot of people didn't. I did, obviously, but a, yeah. a lot of people didn't, you know, and a lot of people are just using stuff from other games. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of generic tokens you can uh, use very well. But the keys, I think, are the hardest thing to find an easy replacement for in, you know, kind of your regular board game component. Agreed. Yeah, and I, I didn't even think of the fact that people who don't buy the starter set, because I know it was it was really hard to come by for a while. And I didn't even think, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Having all of these prizes be replacements for the starter kit is kind of ingenious as a way to mitigate that lack of availability on the product without having to just print tons of it. And also, paying 40 bucks for that starter kit kind of sucks. Yeah, it really wasn't worth it. They made a great change with the Age of Ascension starter set, for sure. Because you're paying, basically, because the, 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 the intro decks that are in there aren't even useful. And since they don't give you a scripted, no. like, put the decks in this order, play this card, draw these cards, you know, and, and walk you through how to play the game with specific cards, then there's no point to those, because they're just as random as any other deck. Yeah, they're just, like, slightly simpler, but no one uses them after their first learn-to-play game. Like, you give them to a friend who's also learning to play, and then they don't want them either after they play a couple games. Right. And you can't even use them. They're not, they don't have 36 cards, I believe. And they don't even have the same printing. So like full moon in those initial decks uh, gives you a bonus ember. Whereas the actual card, if you get it out of a deck box, does not give you a bonus ember. What? 
wow, I did not know about that at all. It's crazy. There's a couple other ones like <laughs> That's that. That's crazy. Why? Just because it was early print run or something? Exactly. They printed those way early and then they made changes. Mm. And they never circled back to make those. Probably just, you know, it's it, first time making this this game. They're kind of like, oh, whoops. That's really funny because that is that is at the same time exactly why I don't want to buy the starter set. But now <laughs> that I know this, I kind of do want to buy the starter set just so I can like see which cards they changed and and like how their playtesting went so I can get a little more insight there. But, you know, I'm sure I can find someone who has those decks who doesn't want them. And I'll yeah. just hey, I'm not. You can I'll ship them over to you. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if there's ever a constructed format, that's the full moon you want is, uh, is a little bit the most. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, so I, I, I got the starter. I, I was very against the idea of getting the starter set. And then I was like, you know what? There, my, my LGS has one. Uh, I get two decks out of it. I guess I'm paying 20 bucks for these tokens. And then I got the uh, the starter set. And, you know, I'm glad I have the tokens because now I have a backup set for people because I've gone ahead and mm-hmm. bought tokens from you as well. Um, and it's actually come out really useful because I bring those and I just leave them in my bag. And then if uh, if someone next to me is playing a game, they're like, oh, we don't have any tokens. Anyone have any tokens? I can just grab those and be like, here you go. Oh. I don't care if they get lost because I have nicer ones. Um, but they Yeah, still- that's great. The community, I think, is really good like that, like with sharing and stuff so far with this game, maybe partially because of the scarcity of the tokens. But like overall, the community has just been like super positive. Everyone's having a good time. I'm always sharing my tokens with people. Obviously, I have enough acrylics to <laughs> go around. So like it's it's a fun time. Yeah. So yeah, so I guess circling back, it's really cool that all of these prizes are replacements for that starter kit, which is, is really nice. Yeah. Sense, you can you can keep everything. So this way, between all of these ember things and stuns and powers and everything else, chain trackers, and now even the keys will fit into a deck box. So you don't need to bring the cardboard keys. You can use these in a deck box. So everything can just fit in a deck box and you don't have to worry about it, which is kind of cool. In this very great Mars deck box, you could win too. Exactly. It can be like one stop, bam, everything in here. Because the cards obviously are much less thicker than those cardboard keys that you would have gotten out of the yeah. store anyway. So it's it's a really interesting approach to take to condense your, your collection and your travel experience. Uh, I just went to Home Depot and bought like a little tool mini mini toolkit to just throw all my mm-hmm. for like a little dividers uh, and that's worked out pretty great it's a classic board gamer accessory yeah pretty much pretty much it'll be like the fifth one i have only this one's the key for it. <laughs> so maybe i'll put like a yeah. sticker on the top something like that i think i have five of them just filled with x-wing stuff yeah that's, that's what that's what my old ones were i, I dabbled a little bit in x-wing uh, a while ago i haven't gotten back around to it but yeah that's i have like you know uh, all my shifts but yeah so that's it's pretty cool that you can condense your uh your utility pieces down into a deck box like that. So recently, uh, semi-recently, I think uh, not at the time of this recording, but about a week ago as of this recording, so maybe two weeks from when you're listening to it, uh, we had Vault Tour Adepticon, which was in Schaumburg, Illinois. I don't know the last name again. I guess it may just be a trend that every time there's a winner, we're just not going to be able to get their last name. But congratulations to the winner, George Something, who was piloting a library access Nepenthe Seed deck. Ah, congrats, man. Did, did you catch the finals at all? I didn't. Uh, I was kind of busy during the day that day, so I didn't get to watch it live, and I uh, so I, I haven't watched it now. Gotcha. I got. I circled back and watched a little bit of it, and man, I understand where people are coming from as far as it being good television versus not good television. Uh, watching someone go through the library access combo is not the most exciting thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's basically. I, I wanted to watch it live, and then I couldn't, and then I heard what it was, and I was like, eh, I don't need to watch that. I've played against that, and. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not fun to watch. <laughs> right, right. There's uh there's a lot of parallels in magic, like storm combos and stuff where you're just like it's just mm-hmm. one person taking a fifteen minute turn and then okay, well do I win or not? Or do I do do you win or not? Let me know at the end here. Yeah. I'm just gonna go get a drink. Yeah. I haven't actually played one of these decks with that combo in it, and I imagine it feels awesome when you're doing it, because I've had like big library access turns without the crazy combo and it's like yes look how much i did look how many cards i drew yeah it's i can tell you as someone who in magic plays a storm deck i first off i completely understand it's miserable to play against because like i said you're just sitting there checked out of the game uh in what's supposed to be a two-player game while you watch someone play solitaire but being the person playing solitaire is so much fun you're like i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna play this and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do this and it's like, what well, did I win? Be like, oh, I don't know. I lost track, but I was, I got to do all these, things, all these things I did. I feel so powerful because I did things the game doesn't normally let me do. And it was, it was, it's super fun, but, um, and it's, it's mentally challenging. You have to do, you have to make sure you're accounting correctly and you're spending resources in the right mm-hmm. way and doing things in the proper order. So it's, I get it. It's super fun being that person. Totally miserable, not being that person, but if I go up against someone yeah. playing library access, I'm like, nope, that's fine. I think, you know, it's totally valid. I knew I could get myself into this situation by playing in an event, an Archon event, or someone opening a sealed. Totally fine. I get it. But uh, but no, it was it did not make for great television. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not exactly how we want people to view the game, right? Like, right. if someone had never heard of this game and was like, oh, let me just check out the finals right here, like... I don't know that they're going to think it was interesting, which is too bad because you you really want the stuff like that to be appealing to people. You want people to see that and be like, yes, this game looks cool. I want to get in on that, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of a bummer. Right. It was, uh, so I, I didn't catch the, the only thing I caught live was Thursday, uh, which was just side events. Mm -hmm. It was still cool that they put those up on the stream. Yeah. They kind of rotated between Keyforge and some Star Wars stuff. Uh, they might have gotten some L5R, um, Legend of the Five Rings in there. I don't remember offhand. I kind of checked out mm-hmm. when it was a Keyforge. Uh, but yeah. it, was, it was really cool. There was um, uh, So in the first two rounds, there was a couple situations where someone could have been angle shooting and really been like, well, no, you did that thing, so you can't really do this other thing. Or maybe it was a misplay, but you didn't catch it, and now I can just say that I didn't remember that happened. And they didn't. It was really cool. The one that came to mind was that right in round one someone accidentally took ember off of a uh, that had been captured onto one of their own creatures and just made a mental mistake and moved it to their own ember pool instead of giving it to their opponent and chat jumped on it pointed it out uh, judge came over stopped play pointed it out and um, i think the the guy that had made the mistake was named jeff ward and he showed fantastic sportsmanship uh when they showed up he's like oh wow no yeah you're totally right i completely did that and the judge was a little bit nonplussed because he was trying to kind of be like well maybe we can rewind but maybe it's been a little bit too long and jeff in this mm-hmm. case was like i don't think it matters like i'm just gonna we're gonna shake hands i'll just see what my top card is because if my top card doesn't steal stuff then i have there's no possible way i'm gonna win anyway without that ember so i'm fine just kind of giving them the game but just out of curiosity's sake let's see what i could have done and it was just great sportsmanship i watched him in a later round yeah uh, and again he was just a really positive uh, energetic player you know chit-chatting with his opponent and uh it was just it was just a pleasure to watch but um even just that sportsmanship was just you know that's what i want to see i like yeah. stuff like that and, and once again that's just pointing out like how good the community around this game is like people are there to have a good time they want to win sure but like they're not it's not like a cutthroat like oh you know right. like they, they, we're gonna play a game together we're gonna have a good time we're gonna build this community 
and and build it in a positive way, which is so awesome to see. Yeah. So even with that positivity, you know, any game has its its little controversies, its a little bit of drama, and we ran into a little bit of that in Adepticon. Um, there were actually a couple times, and and I'm hearing this, you know, this is hearsay ish. I mean, obviously it was confirmed because people were there and confirmed it happened. I don't know the details, so those are a little bit hearsay. I wasn't there, of kind of hearing about it third hand. But there were a couple occasions where keys were forgot. People forgot to flip their keys when they forged them, and the judge ruled, I think, in one case um, that they didn't get credit for the key. And in another case, they did get credit for the key, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, that is what happened. But you got to look at the situations, right? And you got to think about, like, if you're that judge, what do you do? Because there's right. only so much a judge can do. And the judge didn't watch the whole game. They can't go back and watch an instant replay. And it's like, well, if you skip the key on your last turn and your opponent just started their turn and both of you can call back, like, all the things that happened since that was missed, which in a turn and a half is not that many things it's like yeah okay you can you can do that key you should have had that key you guys are both on the same page but in the other case uh at least from what i heard it was that uh it had been three or four or five turns and right. neither of them had caught it until then and there was disagreement about what exactly had happened what you know they couldn't list off everything that happened in that time and it's like well if you're the judge it's like yeah man flip that key dude like that's the point of this game yeah it sucks that you made a mistake but mistakes happen and that you gotta flip it yeah it's i mean it's it sucks yeah like you said it sucks but it's it's part of the like step one of your turn is forge your keys if you skip that step and you can't like both players can't really remember like one of them's me like well i did get a, a grabber jammer out and your keys cost more so i don't remember if you had six or if you had seven so i can't really say that you should flip it um like well then you don't flip it like you you skipped part of your turn and <laughs> that that yeah. sucks totally yeah. sucks but i mean what are you gonna do like I, well aside from you know play the game correctly in the order it's supposed to be played <laughs> but exactly I mean, yeah you can't expect your opponent to just give it to you in a tournament. Sucks. That sucks for everyone. It's a weird position for both players to be in. Right. In a side, in a side game, casual game, it's not that big a deal. But yeah, in a tournament like that, it's it's just kind of awkward. And actually, kind of the same thing happened to me uh, at PAX South back in January in one of the sealed pods that I was in. Um, my opponent did that and uh, did that, meaning he forgot to forge his key. He took the amber out of his pool. And then like five or six turns later, he was like, oh, I thought I was on two keys. Do you remember? And I didn't. I didn't know. Like it was. It was our first game of the morning at 10 a.m. And we had both played <laughs> nine plus games of KeyForge the day before. And I, I was very tired. And I was just like, I normally I feel like I remember this, but I have no idea right now. And unfortunately, yep. you know, he just he didn't get the key, and I won that game. And I felt a little bad about it, but it was like, ah, you gotta do it. You just gotta do it. Yep. I think. Uh, yeah. And I don't even know what kind of advice to offer to not forget these things like i know with bonus ember a lot of people forget their bonus ember so when i'm coaching people and i'm telling mm. them, teaching new people or playing with newer players i tell them hey, look anytime you play a card resolve from the top down say the name because that kind of puts your eyes at the top of the card and then go from the top down first thing at the top is bonus ember so that way you don't forget it so do the bonus ember and then since you resolve the uh the card in the order it's worded for the most part you kind of can't go wrong if you just work your way top down left to right and it helped, it helped a bunch. I noticed a player that kept forgetting their bonus ember started to remember it a little bit more. So I was like, yeah, go with me and my advice. Well, it's pretty much the same thing with the keys. You just got to get in that habit of when you move that amber, the next thing your hand does is it goes to the key. And yep. once you get in that kind of, you know, you get that mumble, mumble memory, that muscle <laughs> memory. Once you get that muscle memory going, it's just kind of, it just happens. You're not going to forget because it's a very simple thing. 
Right. And the, the method I mentioned to you, I put the, uh, I have my unforged keys out on the table and then I, I stacked the ember on top of an unforged mm -hmm. key. That helps a ton. Cause then as I take the six ember off, my hand is right there next to the key and it's a lot harder to forget yeah. when I'm already touching the key. Yeah, it's perfect. So maybe that's, maybe that's my advice. <laughs> yeah. Put your amber on top of the key. Go for it. There's no specific rule about where your amber has to be. So, yep. so, um, so that was, that was one of the, the, drama controversy type of things you mentioned there was a um so there was a situation where someone had a card from someone else's deck i didn't hear a lot about this yeah yeah and this was i believe in the top 16 um so it was pretty far along in the tournament and someone in the middle of a game realized that their previous opponent who had had the same card sleeves as they did uh a card from their deck had gotten into his deck and in the middle of this game when he drew a card he realized this card isn't supposed to be in my deck and he called the judge over Basically to be like, hey, I don't know why this card is in my deck. Obviously, something happened in the last game. I want to make sure this guy gets his card back. And unfortunately, putting a card that doesn't belong in your deck in your deck is grounds for disqualification. So the dude was was DQ'd, which is a real bummer. Yeah. Uh, but also at the same time, it's like, yeah, you know, in this particular case, I, I want to believe, and I, I do believe that this guy just made an honest mistake and he handled it very well. But like, obviously, putting a card that doesn't belong in your deck is something you could cheat very easily with so you know it's like yeah so for the for the good of eric because i mean it would, be, it would be nice to assume that everyone has the best intentions and you don't punish people for you know honest mistakes but then you get the people who don't have good intentions who aren't making an honest mistake and they're trying to to get in there and they you know maybe they're in a situation where they're like oh uh this deck this card is obviously not for my deck and my opponent's been paying really close attention so i'm just going to call myself out and say it was an accident and i know they're lenient when it's an accident you know and they yeah. just really yeah and if everyone had the best intentions all the time and everyone was honest all the time, we wouldn't need judges, right? But we do because we're people and people lie. So you can't, you just got to do what happens. So I guess the best best advice to counter that kind of thing is count your cards before you, so as you sit down with your opponent, you know, like shake hands, say hi, uh, give them your name, and then just, you know, count your cards out. Make sure you have 36. Maybe you dropped one, maybe one's still in the deck box because you don't want to find out halfway through the game that you're short a card. And then you'll also find out yeah. that have an extra card and then at the end of your game when you you know before you sign match let's be like hey hold on you know like let's just count our cards make sure that we've got everything that belongs to us especially if you have the same sleeves as your opponent if you have different colored sleeves and you can just kind of fan through and make sure you've got the right colors you know from the backside. Uh, but if you have the same colors just have each person count and that way you don't run into these situations it's just an extra little bit of care that you know will go you know it, it doesn't it won't matter most of the time but the one time it does matter it really matters yeah and especially in this game where if you lose that card and you don't find it again, you can't use that deck anymore. Yeah. How much of a bummer would that be if you were that guy who brought the deck and like, this is your best deck and you brought it to this event and then, you know, the, your opponent had the same sleeves and he didn't tell the judge and you didn't get that card back. You can't ever use that deck again. And that would just, I would be so sad if that happened yeah. to me. So you know, I totally understand it can be hard to remember to count your decks every round. And it's a habit I definitely need to get into, but like, it's so important in this yeah. game. Absolutely. It's it's funny. I wonder how they haven't come up with anything official. Well, I guess their official stance is that no proxies are allowed whatsoever, aside from things that are damaged mm -hmm. during an event. Um, but I wonder if they'll eventually, because of the nature of the game, they'll allow sort of a proxy. Like you come up to the judge and be like, hey, I want to register this deck, but I'm a card short. Can you print me a proxy so I can put it back in here? Because it's obvious if you're missing the card, like you only have 36, you only have... Uh, 
two we'll just keep picking on bad penny here you only have two bad pennies on your archon card so they'll know if you have three they can just check the deck first and be like okay so you have you are short one bad penny so here's your proxy and you know i guess yeah that would be really interesting also something ffg could do is uh i know that with their other games they're like amazing the uh, nice about replacing pieces i've had so many x-wing pieces be replaced by them for free <laughs> just broken ships you know not even that was their fault like i stepped on an x-wing and they sent me a new one and i also know that they have a printer in minnesota at their headquarters that can print out a keyforge deck so okay. theoretically they could print you the card with your archon's name and stuff on it to replace the card you're missing obviously that's a lot of work right and would take some sort of verification or something but like uh, that's maybe a possibility in the future yeah, that that would be that would be really cool. The other thing, so when I heard that they were, uh, we're looping back a little bit here, but when I heard alternate art cards for organized play uh, promotions, I was super excited because I thought it was going to be alternate art cards, like of the actual cards, like you had have a bad, bad penny in a different position or something. Maybe she's you know like it's like worse, yeah. penny, even worse. Uh, but like the art would be different, or it would be colorized different, or anything like that. And then what it would do is where the house is, or uh, sorry, where the the archon name is, it would just be blank, or it would say like promotional card. And then you would basically you mm-hmm. take whatever deck you wanted to go in take out one of your bad pennies and put the promotional one in. And then you just have to keep that, that original bad penny with you to prove, you know, you own it. Um, but you'd be able to use these promotional cards. And I was like, yes, this would be so cool. And then no, it's just stun cards, Amber power, which is fine, but yeah. so disappointed. But that'd be so, it would be so much cooler to have some promos in your deck. And I was also thinking too, like, and, and maybe this could still come again, going back to a thing where, ffg has a printer that can print these decks in minnesota i i was really hoping that the prize wall would have something like all right you get a deck and they put your name in it kind of like those gamma decks that they gave out like that would be with your name instead of your store's name and that would be just the best prize ever right like who doesn't want that yeah who who cares about a gaming table when you can get a deck with your name in it like you're like reprint i would pay the same amount Yeah, like I have, I have one uh, Diesel Guildmaster of the Covetous Tunnel. That would be awesome if it was Ryan Guildmaster of the Covetous Tunnel. Like I would trade all of my Ember yeah. Charge for that. Not that I have a lot. Right, me too. I mean, especially if I could get one that says Strategic Dino. Like I've been looking oh, through the so thing, cool. like searching for Strategic in names and Dino in names. And it doesn't exist yet, but I'm hoping. If you out there in podcast world ever open a deck that has the words Strategic and Dino in them, hit me up. I want it. I'll pay you money, a lot of money. <laughs> uh, so the the last little bit of contention wasn't so much a controversy or drama, but just people have been down on the library access one turn kill decks in general, um, and specifically the finalist, the guy, the guy who actually won, uh, like we mentioned earlier, George had a library access deck with Nepenthe Seed in it, and. The way that these decks work is that you play library access, which is a logos card that after playing it. Every time you play a card, you draw a card. And then Nepenthe Seed is a, an unforged artifact that has Omni, and I'm paraphrasing here, Omni, sacrifice Nepenthe Seed, return a card from your discard to your hand. So you play Library Access, you sacrifice Nepenthe Seed, bring that Library Access back to your hand, play it again, and now every time you play a card from that point on, you're drawing two cards. 
then you have other ways that you might be able to return that library access to your hand and play it again. And so you're drawing three cards, four cards. And so you're going through your entire deck and you're playing all of your uh, wild wormholes and lab works and everything to generate bonus ember so that you just generate a ridiculous amount of ember. And then traditionally in these decks, you have uh, something like a key charge um, where you can forge a key out of turn. Then you have all this ember, you forge that key, and then you just repeat the process because you're just cycling through your deck over and over again as many times as you want. You just play Key Forge three times after getting 18 Ember and you win on the spot. It's a little tricky to pull off. It's one of those things that's kind of glass cannony, in my opinion, where your opponent has a really good chance of getting all of their keys before you can pull off your combo, especially if they have a way of disrupting you or slowing you down. Uh, but they, they've kind of been the boogeyman in the room. Originally, it was horseman decks were the boogeyman that everyone was scared of. And then people kind of realized how strong library access Nepseed decks have been. And so now those are the current boogeyman. And, and justifiably so. They are really, really strong. Yeah. It, people people hate them. Uh, it's, again, I, like as a Storm player in Magic, which is a very similar style and experience as library access decks, people hate Storm for very similar reasons. And... Like, I get it. Uh, it's it's kind of not fun to play against. Yeah, it's a tricky situation because, you know, it isn't fun to play against. And it's not fun to watch a finals when that's how someone's winning because it's just, it's not fun, right? But uh, I, I totally understand, like, it's something that Richard Garfield wanted in the game. Mm-hmm. So there's that, which I don't know, maybe justifies it, maybe doesn't. Uh, <laughs> he also wanted you to be able to lock people out with Pit Lord and uh, Russian yeah. Guntus. Uh, and that's gone away. Right, was worded correctly. That's true. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. So, so yeah, and that's another thing. They now have done errata, and you know, I don't want them to go crazy with the errata, but maybe this needs errata. I don't know. It, uh, to me, though, I think really the problem is actually not even the library access, which is what's doing it. You need the library access, but it's the Nepenthe seed, right? Like without right. the Nepenthe seed, there's no other way you're ever casting library access twice without it being like one of the last cards in your deck, and then it being one of the first cards in your deck yep. which is just very uh, like rare like that's not gonna happen very often so i think maybe they messed up with the penthe seed maybe it should be action sack it do that stuff instead of omni because that would kind of fix this whole thing and i don't i don't like want them to errata that but maybe if this continues to be a problem they should uh, i don't think it's at that point yet I, I also think another part of it is that there's so little artifact control in this game it's like such a rare thing and so there's so few decks that can actually deal with that nepenthe seed because it has to be out at least the turn before your opponent goes off with this combo so theoretically you have a turn to deal with it but there's like two or three cards in the whole set that destroy an artifact yeah there's one that bounces it yeah you can nexus to that you can so maybe there's four or five, but there's not that many. Well, but even um, then, like you've got you've got Gormavom, which is a sanctum artifact that destroys another artifact. But the thing is, you have to have it already in play because it's going to come yeah. exhausted. Um, Nexus means you have to call Same shadows with- every turn, uh, or you can bounce them, but that obviously doesn't. That just delays the inevitable at that point. So I think you're right. I think one thing that's really lacking in the game is this amount of artifact control yeah so hopefully in age of ascension they realize that and they print a lot more artifact control and then this isn't a problem anymore because like you said like it's it is kind of a glass cannon like it goes crazy once it goes but you got to get the depenthe seed out the turn before you got to have these cards you have to have the key charge with the uh, phase shift like to really do it up and that's another thing is like how many decks that are in the world right now even have this combo like not that many overall like a very small percentage And uh, I was talking to my friend about this and something he pointed out is like, you know, 
yeah, this deck won, and yeah, there were three or four in the top 16, which sounds like a lot to me, but when you think about it in terms of like a magic meta or something, like, you know, if there's clearly a best deck in Magic the Gathering, it's like 50 or 60% of the decks in the top 16. It's not 20% or 25%. So there is a difference there. Uh, you know, it, I hope they figure something out because I don't want this game to be at the highest level that you need that one of those decks. And this is where chains come into play too, because now these decks have racked up a ton of chains, which maybe they can yeah. fight through the chains. Uh, but at the same time, at a certain point, like they, they won this vault tour. Okay. So they go to the next vault tour and they get more chains and eventually they're going to have too many chains to really operate. And I chains aren't enforced in a vault tour. So it doesn't matter how many are. chains he got at this vault tour. He's not going to have any chains in the next vault tour. Oh, well, yeah. So, yeah. I I guess, yeah, I guess that comes back to, that's good to know. Um, And I guess that comes back to the idea of upcoming sets. Like, obviously, there's no concept of a sideboard, and I hope there never will be, because that's obnoxious. Yeah. Uh, Especially in in a game Mm -hmm. where you can't make a deck. Like, how would that even work? I I think that they could print things at common rarity in multiple houses that can fight against a library access Nepseed strategy, where, like, every time your opponent draws a a card during their turn steal one ember and so now mm-hmm. decks that rely on churning through and generating tons of ember you're stealing all of it or capturing it or even better than both of those that ember just gets lost that way they can't you know bounce your captured creature or play a bait and switch and steal it all back like it's just gone and it shuts down their ability to to do these one turn uh, one turn kill combos. Yeah. So hopefully FFG is. I'm I'm sure they're thinking about it, right? Like they have to know. They know this exists. They know people are complaining about it. Yep. They've been another great thing about them is they've been really active on social media, interacting with people, listening to people. Um, so I think I think it'll get figured out. I think in the long run, it's not going to end up being a problem. Hopefully. Yeah. I think it's just too early for errata because uh, that's the other thing is errata erodes your confidence in a game as a consumer because it's this invisible text that as a new player, you come in, you're playing your deck, you love your deck, and then you go to a tournament and find out you've been playing it wrong this whole time. And how crappy does that feel? Oh, yeah. It feels terrible. That's like, I'm going to quit this game now. Feel, yeah. You know, that's like you're at the level of I'm moving from a casual player to wanting to be more involved. And then you hit this robot that is just like, no, I'm not interested in this game anymore. And I've, I haven't seen that with Keyforge, but I've seen other games, similar things like that happen to people. And it's a bummer because you don't, you know, we want the community to keep growing. We don't want to lose people. Yeah. Um, and magic is a, is a really good example of how to carefully do bans. Uh, they never do a rata, obviously, because they realize with a physical card game, it's really hard to do a rata, but they, they do their bans really really carefully um, because they know how frustrating that is for players to be like hey i got this cool card in a booster pack and it's not usable anywhere cool or i've spent a bunch of money buying this card and now it's not useful anywhere cool like that's just that stops people from playing um yeah and i think we're just too early in keyforge's uh lifespan to worry about errata and bannings and stuff like that i think it's just way too early i think that we need to give fantasy flight a chance to print answers at common rarities and everything else to shut down these strategies and if they fail in that regard then we start talking about errata and bans and everything else or even just you know in this game um if, if you get to the point where like all right we tried to print these answers we tried to print these answers they're not working like we said before there's only so many decks in the whole world that have these cards in it they can change the algorithm so that won't ha- come up as new decks, and then they can just like ban 
100 decks, 200 decks, and be like, no, you can't play these decks. Yeah, that, yeah, that's completely fair. I mean, that's way already... better than banning a card, right? And they could even say like, oh, you know what? Send that deck in. We'll send you two decks of your choice like they did with all of the awkward names <laughs> from their first print run. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm sure no one did because like if I had one of those, I would have it right now. I would, right. It would be a treasured item. <laughs> if you think about like you have one of these one turn kill decks and you've had like a ton of fun playing it and everything. And they're like, OK, you can't use those anymore. You're like, OK, well, yeah, no, I'll totally send that in and get two new decks. It's useless to me now. Yeah. Or just keep it on your shelf and have some good memories. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Oh, people are collectors. They like things like that. I bet someone will buy it from you. Yeah, you put it in a glass of salt and display, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what the future holds from that. I actually, I just found out today that one of my favorite decks is one turn uh, one turn kill potential because it has library oh, really? access. Yeah, uh, it was actually Diesel, the one that I was telling you about a, a minute ago or mentioned a minute ago. Uh, it has, let me just pull it up real quick here. Uh, so for anyone playing along at home, it's Diesel, comma, Guildmaster of the Covetous Tunnel. And uh, it's got library access. I think it's a one trick because it's got library access, it's got phase shift, and it's got reverse time, and then it has Key of Darkness. So in theory, I could library access, reverse time, get another library access, start playing through a whole bunch of stuff. I've got a wild wormhole in there too. So I could just cycle through the deck theoretically a couple times using that and then phase shift into key of darkness when I had a crazy amount of ember. And then I guess just hope that I can do that again and again and again. Yeah. And that's so much harder to pull off. (laughs) I've never done it. I'm, I'm happy when I can do uh, reverse time phase shift arise because that's hilarious, but yeah, I got that turn one in one game and it was just, it was, it was like, felt so good. It was like, I'll just take all of my disc card creatures back and I'll play them next turn. It was pretty yeah, good. My opponent is not pleased. <laughs> but yeah, it's a hypothetically possible one turn kill deck, but I don't think it's feasible to consider it as such. So you don't think you're going to win a vault tour with it is what you're saying? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Well, at least not with a combo. Maybe with a deck, but not with a combo. It's yeah. a pretty strong deck. So speaking of vault tours and other major tournaments, um, I have not had any experience with them myself. Uh, my usual other Steve uh, co-host has not had much uh, experience himself. We're planning on going to the vault tour in Atlanta. Super excited about that. And then we've also got Gen Con after that. But you have had a little bit of experience with some, you know, slightly major-ish events. Yeah. So Cascade Games ran these events just like they're running the vault tour. They are the official tournament partner with FFG for North America. So I was at PAX South uh, back at the end of January and South by Southwest Gaming just about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago when you're listening to this. And uh, they they definitely know what they're doing, putting on events. Uh, I had a lot of fun. It was not like a big main event like the vault tours are, which I will look forward to going to. I'm definitely going to be at Gen Con and maybe Atlanta. We'll see. Nice. But they're running, you know, kind of like a, a slate of side events at these things. And from what I understand, it's the same that they ran at the other PAXs and the other things that aren't Vault Tours. And it's essentially what they're running alongside the Vault Tour main events at, at the Vault Tour stops. So they had kind of a, a setup of a couple different options each day and ongoing uh, discovery pods for Archon or Sealed that would just fire off whenever they were full of people. Very cool. It reminds me of, uh, I've, I've gone to a couple um, Grand Prix events for Magic and Star City Game events, uh, which is another Magic tournament organizer. And it, it seems very mm-hmm. similar where you have like, in, in some situations you'll have that main event and then just a ton of side events that fire off as they get people or they're scheduled ahead of time and fire off regardless of the amount of people. That That's similar. I don't know if you've had any experience going to Magic events like that. Is that similar to what 
you've seen here? Uh, yeah, I haven't been to any uh, Grand Prix or Star City Games things specifically, but it definitely is very similar to that, uh, how I imagine that. It was like, it, it's kind of wandering, and they were running Magic stuff as well, and a bunch of other games, other FFG games. Nice. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't as big as those things, and hopefully, you know, Keyforge continues to, to grow in popularity, and, and these things get bigger. PAX South is obviously also largely a video game conference. They do continue to grow their board game tabletop side, which is mainly where I spent all my time. So that's really nice. Uh, one bummer at PAX, too, was that uh, the Keyforge events weren't on the PAX schedule until after the event started. So a lot of people didn't know they were happening. So we had a lot of people coming up being like, oh, if I had known this was happening, I would have brought a deck to play Archon. But I didn't saw play Sealed, which is great. I love Sealed, and I played a lot of Sealed there. But like, not very many Archon events actually even happened at PAX South because people didn't know to bring their decks, which was a bummer. Right. And that's not Cascade Games' fault. It's just scheduling mix-up with PAX is a huge event. I'm sure there's lots of stuff, you know. Yeah, and that's fine. It's disappointing, but it's fine. Again, the game is in its nancy, yeah. so you expect these sort of snafus to come up. Yeah, and there was, like, in addition to Cascade running these events, at PAX South there was uh, an official FFG booth where they were demoing Keyforge, and a lot of people came right from there, having not even heard of it until that day, and then over to the Cascade section and played in some sealed events, which was really great to see. Nice. Uh, and at South by, kind of a similar thing happened. Like, I was just, like, talking it up to people, and there was a couple people that I taught how to play, and then immediately they jumped into a sealed pod because they're like yeah 20 bucks sure i'll i'll get a deck i'll do this and uh and they had a good time i think so that's all pretty great Uh, and in addition to you know all that the coolest thing was that both weekends i played a ton at pax i was only there for two days so i played in two seals and one archon the first day and two more seals and an archon that didn't fire so it didn't actually happen uh the second day (laughs) and then at south by i was able to play in a sealed and an archon every day uh for three days so that was a lot of games in in a bunch of days, uh, like real close together. And it was awesome. Like I I didn't want to stop, you know, like I would have played in the third event a couple of those days if it if we had had time before the event hall was closing and stuff. Um, it's really nice that you can and even in some of those, like it was a lot of the same people were just being like, yeah, I want to play again. I want to play again. Like the fact that you can do that is great. Yeah. I also was very lucky or skilled, maybe uh, <laughs> well, I'd like to think skilled in that I was able to win a whole bunch of these events. Um, they were giving away a very special play map that they only printed 20 of for each house art. So there was one for each house. So 140 mats total. And they were given those out at PAX. They still had a few of them left at South by. They got given out at a couple of the other events in between. And I managed between the, both of those events to win five of the seven of them, which is pretty crazy. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's really limited. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. So as, a, as another crazy stat, at South by Southwest, like I said, I played in two events each day. And that was a little less attended than PAX was. Um, so there were only two events each day. I played in, oh no, there were, I missed one of them. So there were there were three events one day and two events the other day. But I won every single one of the sealed discovery pods that happened at South by Southwest. Jeez. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty effective. Seems like you might know the game a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, and, I, and, and it wasn't like I just opened three crazy decks, right? Like I opened what in on the middle day i did open a four horseman deck with a bait and switch that was pretty silly good um <laughs> it's called the baron that delays infiltration you can look that deck up uh as soon as i opened it i was like yep this is gonna go pretty well and that was the easiest of the three uh seal pods that was an easy 3-0 right there uh 
but the other two, I opened them and I I was looking at them and I was like, I don't, I don't think these decks are very good. Like they, they're okay. They don't have anything too exciting uh, as, as, as happens a lot. But uh, in the first seal pot, it was kind of funny because I opened it and I was like, no shadows. That's, that sucks. I'm going to lose. And no one in that whole pod opened shadows. So that was the only time I've ever played in a tournament with no other shadows decks at all. So the steel was very low, the capture is very low. So I had this, it's called Self-Righteously Vampiric Ronwe, another great name. Uh, and it's just like a really slow, sanctum, untamed deck. It did have a key charge, but like you never really were generating enough amber to like use that very well. Like there's there's no Witch of the Eye, there's no Full Moon, nothing, sorry, no Hunting Witch, no Full Moon. So it's just like real slow, take the board. There's a little bit of steel in the dis, which was probably the most steel in any deck at that table. Uh, and, you know, just kind of grinded it out. So I felt pretty good after that one because I was playing a deck that was not my typical play style. Like, it was very slow and grindy and not like, oh, I'm just going to steal, steal, steal and burst to a bunch of amber and win. Um, and same with the third deck. On the third day, it was kind of similar. It was a Brobnar deck this time and pretty slow. Not a lot of amber control. But in that in that pod, there were other people with shadows, so I just managed to kind of kind of squeak it out. And I think a lot of it just came down to like little little plays, little times knowing when when to go for the amber, when to fight, how to keep control of the board with those decks. Which again, like I said, is not not the type of decks I usually play. So I was pretty happy with those those results there. And I think I definitely, especially in that third one, I beat decks that were better than my deck just by playing a little bit better than my opponent. Like I said, I recently went to a, a sealed event, and um, one of the things that I was telling people is like, look, there's there's three pillars to winning a sealed. That's the strength of the deck you get, uh, your experience playing that deck, your familiarity with the deck. So obviously that's out. And then there's your personal play skill. So if you have good personal play skill and you open a good deck, then you got a good shot. And then after you get a few reps in with that deck, the longer the tournament, the better you're going to start doing. You're, you're going to hit all three of those pillars and things are going to go well for you. So it sounds like you had the player skill. It sounds like you opened a good deck and you're edging out people that maybe even if they had a comparable deck, maybe they didn't have quite the play skill. Or maybe you just if the deck was something that you were used to then you know kind of lines up in that regard you get a little bit of that bleed over from that familiarity yeah and so with some of the decks too it was learning that deck kind of on the fly and in the middle of the game and kind of judging what you're doing what your opponent's doing again with far from full information uh just trying to guess and and kind of see how this game flow is going and uh i hadn't listened to this podcast you guys did last week yeah but the brad uh, episode about sealed was definitely like kind of this thing of like am i the aggro deck am i the control deck how am i going to win this game and you got to continuously be thinking about that to find your way to win if i had played those decks if i played the the two decks the two slower sanctum brabnar decks the same way i played the four horsemen deck i would have lost like, there's no way I would have won. Right. It was because in the middle of those games, I could see like, okay, I'm not, I'm not the one racing here. I'm not the one who's going to get to three keys first. So I need to have control of this board so that I can get Amber from reaping with my creatures. Cause that's the only way my deck can, can get to 18 Amber. Right. And a lot of people I think don't, don't think about that so much in the middle of the game. Maybe they think about it before the game, but it, you know, it can be tough. You have a lot of things that you're thinking about. 
And it actually, for me, a lot of times, uh, I think back to this magic article that was printed 20 years ago. I just went back and looked it up. It's called Who's the Beat Down? Yep. Uh, this amazing magic player named Mike Flores wrote it. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure you've read it. Oh, a yeah. lot of people who play magic are familiar with it. It is a pretty short article that references a lot of magic cards of the time. But the, the gist of the article is when you're in the game, no matter what you think that deck was coming into the game, you have to constantly be evaluating the board state and deciding, am I the one who's going to race to the win quicker? Or am I the one who needs to control my opponent so that I can slow them down enough so that then I can kind of steal the win or control the win? And yeah, it's it's huge. Even though it's an article about magic, I definitely think you guys should look it up and, and read that. It's called Who's the Beatdown? Yeah, I would recommend that as well. It's funny. I was just playing, uh, like I, I met up with a buddy the other day after work and we were playing, um, we're, so we're playing and he was, he's rather, he's rather new to the game, but he's played a ton of magic. So he's got that comparable background and he had a, a board of like four Mars creatures out. Um, and he was like, okay, so if I, if I fight with this creature, then I can, uh, I can do this other thing and then I can fight with this guy and that'll get rid of more of your creatures. And I had to stop him like, look, dude, you know, in Magic, there's there's the beatdown. You're on the beatdown right now. You have four Mars creatures. I have, in any of my houses, I have two creatures on the table. So you're going to win. Like, if, if we just ignore each other and try to do our game plan, you're going to win before I do. So you're in the position where I need to answer you. So make me answer you. Just reap. Just reap with all your stuff. Get whatever benefits you can. You don't need to do anything to me. You just do your own game plan and make me come to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was that beatdown concept where it's not the literal beatdown because you're not attacking life totals, but you're you're the one that's on the aggressive ember plan at that point, and they need to deal with you. You don't need to deal with them. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I, I definitely, what you're just saying, I saw that a lot, especially at the beginning for people coming from Magic, like everyone's doing that. And, you know, all those games like that, it's like, yeah, it's all about board control. And to, to race in this game, it's about resource control. Like you yep. just get those creatures, you just go, you just reap for it, man. You can win that way. I've beaten a lot of people who didn't do that and I watched them not do it. And at the end of the game, I told them, I was like, hey, if you had just done this for a couple of turns, you would have won. Yep. So think about that. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. It's almost like a, uh, there's this weird parallel to real-time strategy games like StarCraft, WarCraft, uh, you know, stuff like that, where all of your creatures are almost like the little drones that go out and harvest things or like, you know, like age of empires or the little villager that runs out and harvest yeah. stone and everything else. And so if you have a lot of these resource generators, a lot of these villagers or drones or whatever you want to call them uh, and your opponent doesn't, then they have to start killing off your, your little dudes so that you can stop generating resources. It's another interesting parallel for that beat down idea. And if you're the one that's ahead, then you don't need to necessarily kill off their villagers, kill off their drones. You can just keep generating resources and you're going to have way more stuff than them, you know, in 10 minutes from now or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, certainly there are some exceptions, like you got to kill right. a hunting witch, you got to kill a witch of the eye, things right. like that that are too crazy. But overall, yeah, it, once you're ahead, just, just go for the win, go for the win. You can get there. <laughs> and believe in yourself. Um, so that's really yeah. cool. Uh, before we move on, I just want to say a couple other things about the the packs in South by. Like Cascade did a great job uh, running both those events. All the judges and people working for them were super super nice. So uh, I, seeing this stuff going on at Adepticon and stuff, and all those challenging decisions, like I, I have full faith in Cascade Games judges and their personnel in executing that the best way they can and being very fair to all the players and also being nice people. You know, like they're they're great. They're great. I've talked to the. Uh, I, I talked a lot to Steve Cameron, the operations manager at Cascade, and he's a super nice guy, is super into these games, loves putting on these tournaments. Uh, so have faith in Cascade. I think I think they've got it. I think they'll get us there. 
Gotcha. No, that's awesome. That's really glad to hear. That makes me uh, me happy, happy for when you know I go to Vault Tour and everything else. That I don't have to worry about like it being a giant train wreck. Yeah, and from what I heard at Adepticon, they were doing digital registration, and apparently that made things run very quickly and very smoothly. So they weren't doing that yet at a uh, at PAX or South by, but yeah. that'll be nice. I'm excited for the potential future that the uh, the app has, the the KeyForge app, where like since you're it's tied to your ID, your QR code ID thing, they'd be able to like send a bump out notification to everyone using the app, like hey, you're at table four or whatever, and they just send it to those player IDs, <gasps> right? How cool would that be? That would be awesome. That would be so nice. Yeah, you just go to your table and you sit down. They can even give you the name of your opponent while you're you know so that you like check in and then they come deliver the uh, the slips and everything. That would be so cool someday. I hope it gets there. That would be great. We'll get that with our flying cars. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Well, I'm glad you had good tournaments. It makes me hopeful for my, uh, my upcoming Atlanta experience. Um, so I think we're probably going to wrap things up. So we always do a, uh, we plug another content creator and I asked you as our guest, if there's someone you'd like to plug and you said, yes, thank you. There is. Um, so who we got? Yeah. I'd really like to plug the board game fight club podcast. Uh, some friends of mine here in Austin, are running it and the deal is that they take two board games they play them and they put them head to head comparing them in a bunch of different aspects of board games and i think it's a lot of fun i've been on the pod a couple times i just came from recording an episode and there's one already live on their website uh, that i'm on where we play kemet and scythe and compare those which were two very long very great games and it was hard to come out with a winner uh, so you could go check them out at bgfccast.com, the board game fight club. And they are also at bgfccast on Twitter and on Instagram. So check them out. Give it a listen. I know you guys like board games. It's They mention Keyforge sometimes, but it's, you know, it's other games. It's cool. It's good stuff. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of bleed over with the audience as far as like, if you like Keyforge, probably like other board games or other games of some kind. I'm sure there's something they're going to do that'll appeal to other people. So check them out, follow them. Uh, and when they do play something that you're interested in or might be interested in, you're right ahead of the curve there. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, other thing, strategicdino.com. Uh, you can pick up some of Steve's tokens there uh, or all of his tokens there. And then you can check us out. Uh, you, oh, sorry. You can also follow him on Twitter at, uh, I forget, is it just at Strategic Dino? Uh, it's at strategic underscore dino on Twitter and at strategic dino on Instagram. So right. you can check me out on both those. Sounds like you had the same problem we did with Instagram where we couldn't get the same handle yeah. and Instagram. It's great. It's fun. Glad they never respond to anyone. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's actually that someone on Twitter had strategic dino has never tweeted anything. And they made this account like nine years ago and I can't get that account now. So it's <laughs> underscore on Twitter, but everywhere else I'm just at strategic dino. Nice. Yeah. Works out great. Uh, you can follow us, the keychain podcast on facebook twitter uh email youtube and twitch on all of those places we are keychains pod and then because instagram is instagram we are keychains podcast on instagram so check us out follow us leave comments uh i think people still want five star reviews on itunes so go there and give us one it doesn't have to be true it just has to be five stars and uh we will we will appreciate you we will validate you as a human being by announcing your review uh, on our podcast so thanks for being with us, Steve. Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great being here. Absolutely. All right, and we'll catch everyone next time. The other Steve, the one that you're more familiar with uh, podcast-wise, will be with us again next time. And I uh, hope to see you then. Take care, everyone. What is this, Gavage?